So uh, we are here back at the next SFC Europe podcast, and I am joined today by Austin Mangum. And uh, we are going to be talking with him about how he became involved in university ministry and what's been going on, what they are focusing on in the Netherlands. And so I'm looking forward to talking to him today. Austin, thanks for being on the podcast with us. Yeah, my pleasure. You know, it's uh, this is fun. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm excited to be here. <laughs> Great. Hey, um, so I like to always start with us um, getting a little bit about you. Can you start with just telling us like how you came to Christ, um, kind of what life was like growing up? and maybe how um, that transition to being uh, involved with university ministry and, and going to the Netherlands. Yeah, for sure. Um, you know, uh, no one's born a minister. And so it's uh, it's been a journey to get to this point sure. and uh, in my life. And uh, so I'm, I'm from Houston, Texas. I grew up in Houston. Um, I was a, born in the mid eighties. And so I grew up in a family that I, we were raised. I have two sisters and we were raised uh, Catholic. Okay. And so I spent the first 20 of my years of my life in, in Catholic church, um, going to church either, you know, either Saturday night or Sunday morning, depending what we were feeling that weekend and sure. uh, did all the classes that you do uh, the, the Catholic education mm-hmm. on Wednesday nights uh, did all the sacraments I could do was baptized as a baby, uh, took first communion, you know, probably around kindergarten age, five or six years old, uh, first repentance, uh, all the way up through confirmation, uh, when I was, uh, um, I guess 15 or 16 years old. Uh, but you know, through all of that, uh, for me, I'm the kind of guy who I, I just wanted to please my parents and make okay. them happy. And so most of that was just me, uh, doing it to make my mom happy. That's how mm-hmm. she wanted to raise us. And so that's what I did. Um, and so, yeah, but for 20 years of my life, all I knew was the Catholic church. Okay. I had, I never stepped into a, a Protestant church. Okay. Uh, I had never been to a Baptist church or Methodist or anything like that. Okay. And, uh, but my, my one exposure to a, I guess a Protestant uh, explanation of the gospel was during high school. I, I got involved with a, a group called Young Life. Okay. And Young Life, for those who don't know, in in the U.S. is basically I, I best, the best way to explain it is youth group in public school. Okay. Uh, it, it's uh, it's an organization that they're allowed to go into the public schools and basically start a a youth group at the public schools. Um, and so I was involved with that in in high school for four years. Um, but then after high school, um, I, I went to a, a junior's college, which is not quite a full on university. And I just started to kind of drift from church and things like that. And, uh, still going through the motions. But then when I was 20 years old, I, I went off to an actual university. I went to Sam Houston state university, mm-hmm. uh, in Huntsville, Texas. And my one thought going there was, okay, I'm moving out from underneath mom and dad out of their house. And I, I don't know anybody at this school, but I can be whoever I want. I can do whatever I want. And, um, but God had different plans for my life. Uh, my very first day on the campus there, uh, my roommate, uh, introduced me to a guy named Wilhouse and Wilhouse would become my small group leader, uh, with a group called Chi Alpha Mm -hmm. and Chi Alpha is students for Christ, but 
in the US. And so I'm 20 years old. I'm at this school, don't know anybody. And I meet this guy, Will. And the first thing that he wanted to do was be my friend. Um, But later on, I found out, you know, he he did care about me, but uh, he cared for me more than just like, hey, let's hang out and have a good time. But he really cared for me and my my eternal destination. Mm -hmm. (laughs) He cared for me and he wanted me to know Jesus. And so uh, he became my friend. And because he became my friend, when he invited me to come to small group, when he invited me to come to a Kaiapha large group service, I said, yes, uh, mm-hmm. I, I trusted him. We, we, we had a relationship. And so I started going to small group. I started going to Kaiapha uh, services. And wow, it, it, it was so different than my upbringing. Mm-hmm. Uh, our Chi Alpha at that time in 2005 uh, was about 300 people. Wow. And I just remember walking in uh, the first Thursday night and the music was different. It wasn't just an organ playing, mm-hmm. but I mean, there's like guitars and drums and it's loud. And, you know, back in 2005, it's like Delirious and Chris Tomlin and, you know, David Crowder, these songs. And, uh, but what I noticed was here's people my age lifting their hands during worship. Mm-hmm. And and it there was just this this um, this feeling and this this uh, going after something that I had never experienced before. Yeah. And so I was doing that and going to small group and Will, you know, he's my age and here he is opening up the Bible and <laughs> teaching me things that I had never heard growing up mm-hmm. in you know Catholic Church. And so uh, six weeks into the semester, he took us to a midweek service at the local assembly of God church. And, uh, during the altar call, I felt God speaking to me and, um, not audibly, but just so, just so present in my heart. And it was just, I I felt God speaking, Austin, you've known about me for 20 years, but do you want to know me? Hmm. And and, and that was the biggest difference in my life. And in that moment it was like, yeah, Lord, I, I want to know you. Yeah. I don't want to just know about you, but I want to know you. And so uh, the fall, it would be 15 years ago in September okay. that I, uh, I gave my life to Jesus uh, okay. there in Huntsville, Texas. Wow. <laughs> Very cool. And so, um, yeah. And then, so I, I went to university, stayed there at the university, was involved with Chi Alpha. Um, but I, I was a radio and TV major, and so I had no aspirations to become a, a minister, to to do missions, um, to to do anything like that. Um, but I think the thing that that really kind of flipped a switch in my life, in, in my walk, was you know I really enjoyed growing in the Lord in Texas, mm-hmm. but. Um, whenever I get invited to go on a mission trip to Mexico city <laughs> to mm-hmm. go to, you know, on these things for spring break, I was like, Oh no, 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 no. You know, I'll give some money and I'll pray for you. And, you know, but I'm not going to go two out of three, you know, that's good enough, mm-hmm. but you know, two out of three, that's still 66% that's failing. So, um, uh, I wouldn't go, but my last year at Sam Houston, uh, I became a small group leader. Mm-hmm. And uh, the way at St. Houston that you, when you become a small group leader, you're, you're never given a small group, like here are your guys and here disciple these guys, but you're okay. Go on campus, be a fisher of men and build a small group, mm-hmm. <laughs> which is, you know, to do that for the first time is terrifying. But I went out and somehow the Lord threw me, 
built a small group of about five or six guys. And mm-hmm. uh, I remember one of the guys uh, leading him to the Lord, uh, then being able to baptize him. And then he got filled with the Holy Spirit and, and all this is happening. And something just clicked in my life that was like, wow, like God, God can use me. I know he saved me. I know he's, he's sanctifying me, but he can use me to reach other people the way he Mm -hmm. reached me and something in my heart switched. And, um, and then we had a a special guest speaker at one of our our leadership meetings and he preached on missions. And again, at that altar call, I felt God speaking to me, will you follow Mm -hmm. me wherever Mm -hmm. I may lead you? And so that's when I said yes to overseas ministry uh, to give a year. And so long story short, I uh, said yes. And then, you know, when you take the first step of obedience, yeah. the doors just start to open. Yeah. And so got invited to a short-term trip, a nine-day trip to the Netherlands uh, during May of 2008. Went, God deconstructed my my ideas of overseas ministry. And, you know, you read stories of guys like William Carey and David Livingston and Guys mm-hmm. going into the middle of the jungle to take the gospel to these tribes who have never heard, but God just showed me that there was um, there was people that needed Him all around mm-hmm. the world, including inner city Europe, mm-hmm. and uh, He just began to to melt my heart for 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 Europe, but for the Netherlands and uh, my wife Amy. We were dating at the time; she was on that trip. He was speaking to her at the same time, and um, and so we both said yes to the Netherlands. We got married and then we, we spent a year there. We, we said yes to a year in 2012. Okay. And so we, we have actually helped plant the SFC group in uh, Maastricht, uh, the drum group there. And saw God do some incredible things. Um, again, as he's working through us to, to do these things, something is just happening inside of us. And uh, we never expected it, but the, the door to full-time ministry uh, and the Netherlands opened. And so we, we walked through that. Uh, it wasn't a straight line. Uh, there were some detours along the way. Um, uh, it was four years back in the U.S. in Huntsville. Um, but in 2017, we got back to the Netherlands as full-time workers. Okay. And so um, we spent that 2017 till uh, last year learning language, serving the local church, kind of setting the foundation. Mm-hmm. Uh, we got to pour into the group in Maastricht, the group in Rotterdam, and then, of course, SFC Europe, Connect, and things like that. Right. Uh, but we're excited because now uh, we're getting really close to heading back to uh, Utrecht, where we'll be pioneering uh, a brand new group uh, at the university there. Cool. And, and you guys have been married how long now? Uh, we just celebrated 11 years. Awesome. Congratulations. So we got and, married back in 2009. and Yeah. And you have two children? We do. Brody and Finn. And okay. uh, they keep us busy. Yeah. That's <laughs> five five there and for. two. Yes. Yeah. Awesome. Cool. So um, when we talked a little bit about you know, what would we uh, want to talk about, about a subject matter for uh, our meeting and for our interview, I... Uh, said, you know, what, what is really on your guys' mind? What's going on? And you uh, have said you guys have been talking about something called the three R's. And I was wondering yes. if you could explain what these three R's are. And, and that's four R's. Three R's <laughs> are. Um, 
and and let us know like kind of where that came from or um, how you explain it to people. Yeah, um, it, it it comes from our time at Sam Houston. Okay. Um, so you know we've been involved with student ministry for fifteen years. Uh, we've met yeah. a lot of people. Um, we've seen a lot of people come and go, and we've seen people that have uh, flourished in their walks during their university years, but then maybe they haven't so much later on at post university. Mm -hmm. Uh, we've seen other people who have flourished on both sides at university, but then as they, they transition to the workforce, Mm -hmm. you know, um, life after university. Uh, and so we, we just began to just question, you know, what's, what's the difference? Yeah. What, what has helped people flourish during their university time in their walks with God and then after university? Mm-hmm. And it's really come down to what we we call the three R's. And I didn't coin this term. I okay. didn't come up with this. Uh, this was something that that was just uh, we've seen as our, at our time at St. Houston that was discipled into us as just and it's really become for Amy and I uh, the core of what we want to disciple into our students. Okay. Uh, because we see that these three qualities is what has helped people flourish in their walks at university and then wherever they may go, whether that's into ministry, workforce, as parents. Mm -hmm. Um, And so what they are is uh, a real devotional life, Mm -hmm. a real having real relationships or fellowship and real responsibility. Okay. And, um, yeah. And so th- that's the three things. And, and when somebody has these three things um, active in their, their walk, uh, it just seems that they, they are uh, still passionately following Jesus mm-hmm. and, and passionately walking with him in, in serving people, serving the church, reaching out and reaching um, for people who have yet to know him. Okay. So you use real in each one of those. And so I'm wondering yeah. um, what makes something a, a real thing in those a real devotional life or a real yeah. um what is it about that that you say these are the characteristics that make that way yeah you know i think well it's twofold right you know i mean it's when, when you put three r's in front of each other yeah. it's really really easy to remember you know yeah, and so yeah. I'm, I'm all for for things that are just easy to, to digest and and sure. to have an is an ism that that just sticks with you a truism okay and so uh but but there's a there's an I mean, there's some weight behind it too of what that okay. means, right? You know, let's just take devotional life for for example. You know, a real devotional life. What, what does that mean? Um, well, I think we we all experience times in our our walks with God, and, and it's not so much real versus fake, mm-hmm. but maybe with devotional life, you know, real versus dry. Okay. You know, and and you know, it's something more than going through the motions, checking the boxes. Okay, mm-hmm. I. I read my chapter today and I said my three minute prayer before bedtime. Right. And so I've, you know, I've, I've done my good, my good for the day and I'm, mm-hmm. I'm good to go. Um, but a real devotional life when, when I, when we teach it, when we explain it and, and what that means to us is, is so much more of a, the motive behind it. Are you going into your, you know, your devotional times and in your walk with Jesus to, check boxes or to meet with a person and, and that person mm-hmm. being Jesus. Right. And so a real devotional life is this seeking after his presence and going after him. And right. so um, in a devotional life that encompasses so much as well. 
mm-hmm. you know, we, we kind of narrow it down to like, well, if you read your chapter and you did your little prayer and uh-huh. you know, if, if that's what we're striving for, then it's really not much, but uh, Ravi Zacharias has a great book uh, called recapturing the wonder. Mm-hmm. And I think having a real devotional life is this recapturing the wonder and stirring this wonder in our heart after God of who he is and what he's like and what it means to walk with him in his presence. And, um, and, and that could be through your, definitely through your, your Bible reading and your prayer time. But um, I mean, just meditating upon his word, um, sitting in silence before God, letting him speak to us. Um, I think Richard Foster hits on a lot of those things in his book, celebration of discipline uh-huh. uh, that, there, there are many ways to have a devotional life with God. Right. Uh, it goes beyond our devotions mm-hmm. and that, yeah. that, okay, I'm setting my 30 minutes aside today to spend with God, but no, it's my, my walk with God and work that carries over into every aspect of my life. And my prayer life is, yeah, it's in my prayer closet, but it's me driving down the road, talking to God and, and walking down the street and, um, thinking and meditate upon his word and what I read today and, um, and, and just seeking his presence in every aspect of our life. And so, um, yeah. And so I, I would say a real as in really seeking after the real presence of God rather than a checklist. Okay. It's, it's a bit of a simplified. That's so interesting. The devotional life is um, sometimes something that's one of the hardest things to translate uh, <laughs> into another language. Even yes. so, in, in Austria, you have this. We're stuck with this in German. Uh, I don't want to say stuck. The words that are being used don't necessarily uh, explain the right. reality of a life that's um, really seeking after a real relationship with God. So, in German, we use the word that means like quiet time. That's mm, like what yeah. people say, you know. And if it's all just about being quiet, then I've got some other religions that we could maybe find and we could talk about some quiet places. Um, but it's more than that. It's our relationship with yeah. people. Yeah. So that's so cool. Um, so we have real devotional life, real relationships. Um, now this makes me think of like people wearing masks all the time. Is that what you mean? Like you don't not wearing masks or what do you, what does a real relationships look like? I think that touches on it. Right. You know, um, I think that, in our Christian circles, sometimes we have trouble with vulnerability and transparency. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Hey man, how's it going today? And it's like, man, it's good. And yet, you know, underneath that mask or that facade, there is some real struggles and things that maybe they don't feel comfortable voicing or, mm-hmm. um, so I think that's part of it, right? It's, yeah. it's getting beyond the surface level. We don't want Christian acquaintances. Yeah. We want real brothers and real sisters in Christ that, um, that we can walk with. Mm-hmm. And the other part of that is, um, you know, I have, we have three R's. I think when we talk about real relationships, we can get to the four C's okay. and that's a whole nother, I mean, I could spend an hour talking about the four okay, C's. We'll make that so, part two. Yeah. <laughs> um, for right now. <laughs> so, uh, but, but just to talk about what those are, you know, just kind of give you an idea, you know, yeah. when you talk about the four C's, um, yeah, it, it's going beyond our acquaintances and getting to, to 
realizing that uh, we have a common cause, mm-hmm. right? A common experience. And so when you're growing up, your co- common experience with somebody may be the sport you play, right? right? So if you play soccer or football, like you, your relationship is as deep as the sport, yeah, right? And so, uh, but with Christianity, with our brothers and sisters in Christ, our common experience is the salvation that we have in Jesus and Jesus becomes the center point. And so, uh, or the integration point and Jesus is infinite. Mm -hmm. So our, our relationships have the potential to have infinite depth because of what our, our center point is Mm -hmm. our integration point. Uh, but then after that, you know, if we're going to have a real relationship, then we need to be committed to one another and, and, and to the cause. Mm-hmm. We need to have a commitment to Jesus, but we need to be committed to each other that I can trust you as we're walking this out together. Okay. Um, but then if we're going to do that, there has to be a common unselfishness in our relationship. Okay. You know, Paul always talks about think of others more highly than you think of yourself. And that's really what it comes down to that. I care more about you than even myself. And, and right. um, I'm going to lay my life down for you and I'm going to live unselfishly so that you can know Jesus better and that others can. Um, and then the big one, we need to have constant forgiveness, right? Mm-hmm. Because yeah. we're, we're going to mess up. Uh, every relationship has its bumps and its bruises. And some of my best friends I've had the biggest fights with, but there's mm-hmm. been forgiveness there. Right. And it's actually deepened our relationship and our trust mm-hmm. of one another yeah. um, and, and getting that bitterness out of the way. And it's like, you know, yeah, we may have bumps in the road, but we can grow from this and we yeah. can, we can change and, and, um, and, and we can progress past this. And so, um, so having real relationships is having these qualities and this depth of that, Hey, we can come together and I can, I can come to you and I can talk about real issues with you, what's really going on with me, but even coming to you and maybe confronting some blind spots that you might have and that you're not going to get offended and that you're going to go, okay, you're going to interpret me correctly that, okay, he has the best interest, my best interest in mind. So he's bringing in this up, not to hurt me, but to, to help me see something that I'm doing that I may not even be aware of. And so, um, yeah, it's just deepening our relationships with one another. And so if we have that in our groups, you know, I think that that is something that is attractive to Mm non-Christians, that there is, there's some depth and we're looking for, for, I think non-Christians are looking for something that is real and authentic. If you come together and you put on your, your, your happy faces and you smile and say, yeah, all, everything's good. You, you know, that people can see past that, but right. when we can have authentic relationships and, and talks and get deep, that's attractive. And I think that, um, yeah, that, 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 that's even in a way to bring others into our group as well. Um, okay. And, and help them meet Jesus. So as a leader, what are some good tips to help develop real relationships or to help the people you're leading have real relationships? Yeah, I mean, so much with the discipleship, right, is uh-huh. is it's caught rather than taught. Mm-hmm. We, we can teach it and we can talk about it, but so much of this, it's 
it's really hard to kind of even put a finger on some of this stuff because it just, it has to be caught. Mm -hmm. And so that starts with you and it's creating a culture, creating an atmosphere where you're taking those first steps Mm -hmm. of being transparent and vulnerable. And it's not that you need to be vulnerable and transparent with, you know, if you already have an established group of 50 people that may not be, stepping out and being transparent with everybody at once, but taking one or two people that you're close with and beginning to cultivate that and in your relationship with them. This is why small groups are so brilliant because you can have that relationships where you can trust those people. Exactly. And, and and it's risky, right? I mean, Mm -hmm. real relationships take risk. Um, Anyone that uh, is married can tell you that that there's, Mm -hmm. there's risk in it because you know, I mean, for a guy, when you go out there and you ask that girl to marry you, I mean, you're putting it all on the line and you're hoping that it's reciprocated back. And so in a small group setting, when you're the one taking the risk to be vulnerable and transparent, there's a risk that it may not be reciprocated back. Yeah. Um, but it's a risk that's worth taking. And yeah. honestly, I mean, that's the risk that Jesus takes with us. Mm-hmm. The world is yeah. that. He steps out and he stretches his hand to reach people, but often it may be rejected or shunned. And, and, and so he teaches us through those moments as well. But um, yeah, I think it's something that you have to step out by example and do it first. Right. Begin to set that, that culture. Really cool. And then the, the third R was real responsibility, which is a very interesting word for me. I'd love to hear your take on that. Yeah. Responsibility. That is a, yeah, I, I think it can be a very broad thing and people can interpret it in many ways. Yeah. Um, uh, sometimes we can interpret that as, okay, responsibility. I'm going to set up chairs before service or, Hey, I'm going to, I'm going to get, you know, pastors PowerPoint ready and we're going to run PowerPoint or I'm going to run sound or, mm-hmm. you know, um, be part of the meet and greet team. And, why that is responsibility and those things are important because it's so important for us to have servant's heart. Right. Right. And to learn that. Um, But what we're talking about here is the responsibility for someone else's eternity. Okay. Okay. Um, It's it to be a soul winner, honestly. Right. You know, I mean, to put it, put it simply, it's to, to go out and uh, here's another, you know, clever thing to have the three F's to find <laughs> feed and fight for the lost lambs of God. Okay. Um, and if you were at connect, uh, anyone that was at connect, uh, last year in 2019, uh, mm-hmm. and they came to my breakout session, this is what we talked about finding, finding people, feeding them and fighting for them. Yeah. Uh, and so the responsibility is for, or I should say this so often the responsibility seems to fall on the leader to go and to do, you know, uh, outreach, to go evangelize, to, to meet people, to bring people in. But that is part of his responsibility or her responsibility, but it's also to equip your student leaders to go out and to be fishers of men. Yeah. You know, when I became a small group leader at Sam Houston, I wasn't given a small group. I I was sent out to go and find people. I had to go and find first. And then you can't feed until you find, but when you find, and then 
and you have them in, then you can begin to take responsibility to feed them. And just like a dad with a baby or a mom with a baby, you have to feed them. You take responsibility for feeding that child until they're able to feed themselves. And then it becomes even more dangerous, just so you know. Once they can yeah. feed themselves. It's really yeah. messy. It's Well, no, I'm talking like they get older and they're like going through the house all day long and I'm just trying to keep them out of the fridge, you know? If you're, oh, uh, our budget you're, cannot handle you eating all day. No. Exactly. It's but it's terrifying. a good thing. They should grow up into that. Spiritually too, right? Yes, exactly. Yeah. And right, so... No, I don't know. As a parent, I, I t- with two boys, they eat nonstop. And so yeah. I, I, I get it. Um, but yeah, you, you want them to be able to feed themselves and spiritually. And so uh, you're taking responsibility for uh, not just leading someone to Jesus, but then you're taking responsibility for raising them up. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a great um, uh, uh, sermon and, and, and seminar uh, from the leader of navigators from decades ago. And he got really convicted about this, about uh, leading people to Jesus when then leaving them. And he had a bunch of spiritual orphans, he said, okay, because they, they fell away and because he, no one raised them up. Mm-hmm. And so uh, when you go out and you find someone and you lead them to Jesus, then you're saying, I'm taking the responsibility to, give them nourishment and teach Mm -hmm. them to feed themselves um, and to fight for them. You're anyone that has discipled anyone knows that the world, the flesh, the enemy are all coming against that person and you have to fight for them and you have to lay your life down for them to know Jesus. Um, And so really you're, you're looking at them and say, you know, it's almost like a marriage vow for better or for worse till death do us part, you will know Jesus, you know, um, kind of having that commitment. And Mm -hmm. so when I talk about responsibility, that that's what I'm talking about is having this responsibility for souls and for people and for them to know Jesus. Okay. That's really cool. I like that. Um, those three things tell me, how do you make that a part of uh, the culture of a student ministry, what goes into that aside? Okay. We, we live it out in front of them. Right. Um, what other things can help me out here? Help us to, to, to get to that point. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it really does um, start with you leading from the front. Um, uh, it, there's, a pastor here in Texas and uh, their church is doing this in, in a Sunday, you know, traditional Sunday morning church format. Uh, and he leads from the pulpit with it. Um, and he, he tells stories not about, you know, to boast about himself, but to, to show that he's doing it as well. And so, uh, and I've seen that our, our pastors at Sam Houston, we, we got this, we understand this because they, they led from the pulpit mm-hmm. and they did this mm-hmm. in their lives. Even as pastors, they didn't say, well, you go do this and you go and find people. Um, but they were finding people as well. And, um, and so as a leader, if you want your students to do it, um, I mean, this goes back to discipleship by design, right? You, you yeah. go do it and you take them along and they, they see you doing it. Right. Um, and then you take them along after that. And you're doing it, but they're doing it with you. Right. And then you're kind of going and letting them lead and, and so forth. And, and, and I think that model of 
that is taught every connect uh, from discipleship by design, uh, reaching today's student um, that it's not antiquated. Yeah. It's not just rhetoric that that is the best way to do it. You have to take people, they have to see you do it. It has to be more than lip service. And so um, with, with uh, the responsibility part, I mean, the easiest way is to take them onto campus with you Mm -hmm. to go meet people, let them see you, you do it and how you do it and then encourage them and ask them, Hey, what'd you think about that? How, how would you have done that? And then when you go meet the next person, like, Hey, why don't you, you know, you try to get them in the conversation to do it. Um, Try to make that connection. Even, you know, if they've never met somebody and led them to Christ uh, I've, I've gone and I've found somebody uh, during one of our our welcome weeks Mm -hmm. and I've started the conversation, but then I found something that, uh, that student was passionate about. Mm-hmm. Hey, I have a student, you know, and I, in my mind, I'm thinking I have a student leader right here who mm-hmm. loves that same thing. So I brought them together and said, Hey, you know, this guy right here, uh, he, he loves that as well. And I got them talking. And mm-hmm. so just kind of making those connections, trying to, to bridge that gap uh, for people and to get them just to see that they can do it. Mm-hmm. Um with the relationships, like I said before, leading from the front, it's taking yeah. those steps of vulnerability yourself and your group. And uh, if you're if you're a leader, and depending on the size of your group, you know if you're not um, it, leading a small group or in a small group with your students or your student leaders. So if you're you're a leader and you have a bunch of student leaders already leading small groups, um, maybe you should have your student leaders come together for a small group as well with you. Um, we, we would call that like a resource group. Mm-hmm. Um, and you're teaching them in resource group. You're kind of leading them in a small group, how they should lead uh, in their small groups with the relationships. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and then with devotional life, you know, that's the trickiest because devotional life, sometimes that's the most um, personal part of your walk mm-hmm. with God. Uh, but for me, uh, it was my small group leader always asking me, Hey, what have you been reading lately? What has God been speaking to you lately? Having those questions asked to me or, Hey, have you ever, I was reading today and have you ever thought about this when Jesus says this in the scriptures or Paul says this Mm -hmm. and he, so he's taking his devotional life and he's bringing it into the conversation and he's making me thirsty to have a devotional life. Man, how does he, how is God speaking to him this way? And God, I don't hear God speaking to me this way. Like, mm. you know, he speaks to will and it made me want to be thirsty and to want to go have a devotional life like that for myself. Okay. And so um, I think with the devotional life, it's bringing those questions to the table or, or bringing those thoughts from your own devotional life into a conversation with uh, one of your students. Okay. This might be a, a question that's maybe difficult to answer, or maybe you've already feel like getting a good job answering it. I want us to imagine there's a, uh, a student or a student leader who feels like, Man, I can't do all those things because you know, I'm just not good at being um, vulnerable or I, I'm not having the great devotional life that I should have. And, and man, that's the scariest thing in the world to go and try and, build relationships with non-Christian people. Does it mean I just shouldn't be a leader or, or what do I do to get to that place? 
I had all those thoughts uh-huh. the summer before I became my a small group leader for the first okay. time. I yeah. mean that I think that is that is not like a a, a unique situation mm-hmm. for anyone. Uh, and to have those thoughts, I think that one that is uh, probably a pretty normal, <laughs> sure, you know, maybe crisis and you mm-hmm. know to have yeah. of I can't do this. And you know what, you you can't mm-hmm. <laughs> in your flesh. You you can't do it. Uh, Austin could not go out and build a small group himself um, with any kind of authentic spiritual content on his own. Mm-hmm. Um, but Jesus working through Austin could, mm-hmm. you know, 22 year old Austin. Um, and, and I think that's where it starts. Uh, if you recognize, like, I don't know that I can have a devotional life like that. Well, don't think big. You need to just start small mm-hmm. and, um, and maybe check your motives on, on what you're giving priority to. And so the best student leaders, the best, yeah, student leaders uh, that we've seen go out and have the best, most fruitful small groups. It always started before the semester started. Mm-hmm. They, you know, these first time leaders, um, myself included, you go out and that summer before you became a small group for the first time, the ones that had the most fruit went out and they had uh, they, they spent the most time with God that summer mm-hmm. and they had these thoughts and they took those thoughts to God and said, Lord, I don't know that I can do this, mm-hmm. but they sought God during the summer. They, they got serious about it. And when they went out, they'll tell you, I don't know how I did this. I don't know how I found 12 guys, but I did, mm-hmm. but it was because they, they had spent abundant time with Jesus leading yeah. up to that. And yeah. if we think that we can do any of this, Without Jesus, we, we're really missing the mark too. Yeah. And so yeah. that's why having that real devotional life is so key. I think mm-hmm. it really is the the start to, to the other two right. um, going forward. Yeah, so, so much the availability to do what God's calling us to do forces us to, uh, to spend the time with God to do what he's calling us to do. Does that yeah. make sense what I'm saying? No. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. No. So we, we grow because we know we need to grow. This yeah. is the responsibility that's coming on us. So that's very yeah. cool. It's exciting for me to hear um, these things that have happened and, and how God's been using them. Do you feel like it's um, at all that these principles are different working in the Netherlands than they were in the U.S. or have different things that are more difficult? That, that is a fantastic question. And, you know, that is something that we, uh, from our time in Texas to our time in the Netherlands, uh, that question has come up because if something works in, in Texas or in the U.S., but it doesn't work in the Netherlands or Austria or in South America, then something's wrong, right? Um, if this is a, a true biblical principle, if these are things that we read in the gospels that Jesus did, right. Jesus had, you know, he had a real relationship with the father. Mm. He goes away to have this quiet time. He, he gets away from the crowds. Um, we see the son of God doing that. He had real relationships with those 12 guys. Mm-hmm. Jesus was the first small group leader, right? Yeah. Uh, 
He did that. And he had an authentic, real relationship with them. I mean, you think about Peter, he said some of the craziest things to, to Jesus, right? And they were teaching moments and Jesus was transparent, even about him going to the cross. Um, and then the responsibility, the responsibility that Jesus, what he came to, to earth to do, but then also what he gave the disciples to do after his resurrection ascension, you know, after Pentecost, um, or even in the gospels, when he sends the 72 out, you know, like he's giving them responsibility. Yeah. These are true biblical principles. And it, and if they really are, uh, uh, gospel principles, they should work in Texas and they should work in the Netherlands. Mm-hmm. Now, what we say is, um, maybe this is a bit crude, but you know, like the skeleton should always be the same, but the flesh on the skeleton is going to look a little bit different everywhere okay. you go. Yeah. So the outworking of it, it's going to look different in Huntsville than even, you know, another campus in the Northeast of the U S or the West coast. Yeah. It may look different, it may look different at another campus in Texas. And so in the Netherlands, I am, we've seen that it looks different. It's going to yeah. look like it's going to look like in the Netherlands, mm-hmm. but the skeleton, the core, the, the convictions stay the same. Right. And, um, and so, and we've seen this, we saw it happen in Maastricht. Um, and we're praying we're going to see it in Utrecht, you know, that, yeah. Uh, yeah, that people can come to know Jesus, we'll have a real devotional life with him, mm-hmm. have authentic relationships with one another, and go out and reach their campus for the Lord because of what he's doing in them is not meant for just them, but what he's doing in them is meant to do through them. Right. And, um, yeah, and I, I don't think that changes. The core convictions do not change anywhere you go. Right. Maybe the way that it looks like might change, but those core things are still the same. That's really cool. Yeah, thanks. Great. That is awesome. Well, Austin, thank you so much for um, spending a few minutes with us and sharing about these things. It's been super great. Um, and we hope to see you soon in Utrecht and hear what God's doing there. And, yes. um, and we will uh, you know, pass on any questions anybody has from the this podcast they can reach us at the uh, sfc europe website and they can comment and ask any questions and then i'll bother you again about them and awesome and uh that'll be be great to hear all these different things that are happening but thanks so much god bless you we hope to see you soon on uh this side over in europe soon thanks awesome thank you Thanks again for being a part of the SFC Europe podcast. We enjoyed having Austin with us, and we look forward to hearing from you. If you've enjoyed these podcasts or you'd like to hear something else, visit us at www.sfceurope.org backslash podcast. Leave us a note. Let us know what you'd like to hear. Let us know if you had any comments or suggestions or questions. We look forward to your feedback and hearing how you're enjoying these podcasts. Thanks, and have a wonderful day.